Welcome to the Owl Hoot Podcast with me, Caroline Norbury. This is a show for any person interested in the environment and sustainability. I arrived at a point in my own life where I wanted to know more about the state of our planet and how I can play my part, albeit small, in mitigating climate change, reducing pollution and supporting biodiversity. I decided that chatting to others who are already doing something might be a good place to start. So each episode will feature a different guest telling their stories in and around an environmental activity that will perhaps provide you with ideas that you can incorporate into your own life. Enjoy listening and let me know if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about on the podcast and I'll do my best to address it. On today's episode, I am chatting to Marisha Kay, who co-owns the Earth Harmony shop located in Belper, Derbyshire, alongside her partner, Andy Arnold. It supplies organic and vegan products for low impact living. Before taking over the shop, previously known as Sue Sustainables, Andy and Marisha started a small business, now a community interest company called Hidden Potential Recycling. It offers the collection of hard to recycle items directly from people's houses. Marisha can also be found at their allotment where they are part of the Belper Permaculture Network or at the community hall where she supports the network's other community garden. Previously, Marisha worked as a teacher and drama therapist specialising in complex behaviour and autism. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Marisha's endeavours and so it's my absolute pleasure to welcome her to the podcast. Welcome Marisha. Thank you Caroline, good morning. Good morning. So I always start off by finding out a bit more about you, where you started, where you grew up and how you came to be interested in sustainability. So can you start by giving me a bit of a, a background? Sure, of course. Um, as you can tell from my accent, I was born in South Africa and I suppose I led a pretty normal life there you know, trying to make sense of all the interesting times that I was living through, like the, the end of apartheid, the, the rise of um, more the Rainbow Nation and really grappling with really big, I suppose, political issues, um, you know, that many youngsters are maybe oblivious to. And I was very interested in academics and, you know, I had a complicated uh, home life so I was really uh, pouring myself into academics and learning drama I went to a specialist school where I trained in drama and then I also went on to study drama at university but interestingly enough someone uh, suggested that I look into drama therapy okay which was uh, what initial you know in the end led me to to England really I suppose it's that mix of you know at first it was the sense of wanting to learn more and very mind-based and then when I came to Derby and did the training and how life um, unfolded from there was mainly to get back into my body and back into community and looking around me and seeing seeing what there is to do so in a nutshell I was thinking what what led me to sustainability because I wasn't sustainable all my life. I wasn't, you know, uh, taught all these things from childhood. A lot of things uh, came from my involvement in special needs and the special needs curriculum, which was lovely. Uh, so 
as I so I became a teacher sort of by accident it was one of those filling things it was oh would you like to have a bursary to study as a teacher so I said okay that's fine so I became a teacher and then in my journeys in England I, I first you know mainly worked in primary schools but then I ended up in a lovely school for autism nearby and there in the further education department we know we did gardening we we um, did recycling with the the youngsters and and a lot of those things really made an impact on me to know the impact of teaching young people and and people who can um, get some fulfillment out of it to to do those sorts of sustainable things and yeah I suppose that really um, made it clear to me how easy it is for anyone to access these these things and where I ended up living then in Valpo was very close to the allotments so I started growing my own food and I was involved or influenced very heavily by a lovely lady that helped me out when I was in a difficult time and I learned a lot from her as well. So, yeah, I suppose that's in a nutshell <laughs> the journey. It sounds like it wasn't a sort of a light bulb moment, that it was a gradual transition from sort of circumstance and experiences that you were picking up along the way. Is that correct? Absolutely, yes. Uh, it wasn't me, you know, being touched by a documentary or something to say, right, I need to make a difference. It was very much that sense of how does this become part of your daily life and how, you know, through different people that you meet, you learn more things. And I've always been a very um, keen learner. So for me, it was as soon as you integrate new knowledge into your life, then your actions should change um, accordingly. So it was just, you know, integrating all those experiences. And I suppose a lot of it was really hard times, but the way I grew up in in my, you know, role model from my mom, she was very much uh, making the most of each situation. And it was really interesting when I learned more about permaculture to learn that a lot of the making do sort of habits that I learned in childhood from my mom or a lot of the things that uh, you think might be, I, li I like the word cheapskate because it's got that energy to it, cheapskate, you know, that sense of always finding the cheaper option, but a learning in time, the quality that some things are cheap, but quality, you know, just because it's been used before doesn't mean that it's any less than someone else. You know, I was wearing the vintage clothes that my grandmother had in a suitcase because I couldn't afford the brand new clothes. And my mom's always been, you know, I've had some fantastic adventures with my mom, um, upcycling things in the eighties, driving around, collecting, uh, reclaimed bits to build her uh, outbuilding that she made and you know she keeps chickens and she's very chaotic but in the chaos there is order and um, you know meaning and I love that that my whole life I was thinking oh my gosh this is so, so embarrassing and now I'm like actually it's very <laughs> meaningful and it's it's really cool actually so uh, yeah I love that. <laughs> It's funny how when you can reflect on your childhood as an adult, that you can see it through different eyes and your experiences can be seen in a different way, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, the word permaculture. For anybody that's never heard of the word permaculture, perhaps you can explain what that is. So, yeah, I've uh, sort of became involved in uh, the local permaculture network. Uh, that's really, there's a, a few people who are, 
very experienced and have finished diplomas in permaculture and who work for the association. So I was really um, lucky to sort of meet them and now to have them as friends. But permaculture is philosophy that can be applied to gardening, your life choices, um, you know, really anything. But mainly it came from... I won't try and remember the names because my, my memory is bad, but these guys uh, came up with an alternative to agriculture that depletes the soil and is completely not holistic and not, you know, helpful. So it is a contraction of permanent agriculture originally, but the, the whole field of permaculture has a lot of knowledge to do with ethics and principles and methods of analyzing and observation that can help you make uh, good decisions. Also following the example of nature. So a lot of the principles are to do with, like one I love is uh, the answer or the solution lies in the problem. You know, nature always finds another solution through all the problems. Like, okay, we just burned down the entire uh, forest. Oh, well, it's a good opportunity for growth. You know, let's find the good things about that. The biochar will help uh, nourish the new roots and it will help evolve, you know, stronger species or, you know, in everything there is, um, nature can teach us so much. So they basically just narrowed it down to three ethics, which underlie all the things you do called um, people care, earth care and fair share. So all the decisions are based on that, like even when you make your garden. So you could say, right, I want a lovely lawn, but is that good for the earth or is it just for the people who want to sit there? So if in that you have in every decision you make in your life, in your house or in your garden or even in the choices you make in what you think about or, you know, what you do if you keep those things in mind, like how is this impacting other people or how is this impacting the earth? And is this fair? Like if I have all these brand new expensive things, but you know, I'm using money in a, in a way that's not helpful for sharing out to my community or your time or anything, you know, you could apply it to, to so many things. You're absolutely right. It is a philosophy by the sounds of it from how you describe it. And it's, it also sounds like it's embedded in, in the way that you live your life. How easy is it for anyone to get involved with gardening in that way? I think these days it's getting easier and easier. So there's a wealth of knowledge online. There is a magazine that if you subscribe to it, you can have access to all the back editions. And a, there's a lot of very... Um, dynamic programs all around the world and you know people who buy pieces of land with the whole intention of making it into a forest garden again to sequester carbon to the soil to feed themselves to have medicine so a lot of permaculture is to do with having useful plants and perennial plants and a lot of it is to do with planting in such a way that you work less because you one of the principles of so those were the ethics one of the principles is to follow the flow of energy so in other words do not work that do not do any jobs that are unnecessary or not helpful so for example why would you cut the lawn if it's not helping anyone <laughs> you know if if you need a little patch cut that bit but you don't have to religiously cut the lawn all the time because it's not helping the creatures that live in the grasses and you know there's so many reasons not to do it 
and in many ways grass is anyway obviously a terrible monoculture that's that's not helpful at all but basically um the energy thing is is about saying that if something is helpful then do it but if it's not then don't do it and there's a whole field or whole theme of or topic about being lazy of allowing yourself to be lazy and to relax and to just watch nature and to to just have it unfold so i suppose people who are doing nothing in their gardens are already permaculturalists right. if they're letting it be wild and if they're not cutting the lawn if they're not planting anything they are doing it already that you know if you just let nature come up with whatever it has to give that's already a good thing but if you wanted to collaborate with nature and to get a yield that's another principle from permaculture is to get a yield like if you think about it so much in our life we do th things but we're not getting a yield like motherhood for example I mean how can you make sure to get a yield from that so you know what I I need something for me right now, whatever that may be. You know, it's not selfish. It's just realistic to keep everything balanced. You know, there's the bees don't go to the flowers just to be nice to them. They're getting something from it. You know, everything in nature has a purpose for what they're doing. You know, things are not just, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm a nice bee, you know. <laughs> it is a collaboration. So Yes, I suppose once you've, you've uh, decided what you want from your garden, like if you say, I want a peaceful place to relax or I want food and medicine from my garden or I want, uh, you know, whatever it might be. It's interesting to hear what you say because it can challenge a, like a social norm, if you like, that that's, you talked about cutting the lawn. It's, it's something that people possibly do without it's it's like an expectation oh I have a lawn I have a bit of garden I have a lawn and this is what you do with the lawn but you're challenging that perspective which is which is really really exciting so moving slightly away from the permaculture and looking at your venture into the recycling which was something you started before before taking on the on the shop um, can you tell me a bit about how you moved into thinking that that would be a good idea uh, to, to set that business up. Yes, it, it, is, it was a really interesting journey because um, so my partner Andy, we, when did we meet? I think in 2017 we met and a lot of the things I was learning. So I was, at the time, I didn't have a car. I was walking around Belpa. I was working with these lovely young people doing gardening and all sorts of very functional things and learning so much from that. And then I met Andy and I was at a point where I was ready to either leave education or to just be stuck in it forever because I trained as a therapist just before I had my daughter. So it was a bit like, oh, it's just easiest to just work for a school again because it's uncomplicated. I don't have to hassle for every single bit of income working privately. So it came to a point of saying, OK, I'm going to stop working full time. And Andy was a builder for 20 years, but he broke both his elbows um, some time ago. And so it became really hard for him many years ago, but it started influencing his ability to do heavy lifting and things like that. So we were in this transition phase of saying, OK, what's next? And uh, so we suddenly had lots, um, much less money. And I was doing some one-to-one -one, uh, teaching just a few hours a week. And we were building up this allotment from scratch. So we were really into the garden 
garden and making most of that and growing our own food. And at that time, I got really um, involved in all the sorts of eco things that are happening in Balba, like Help Reupcycle. I'm not sure if you, you're familiar with that page on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was started with by Transition Balba and anything you need, you can just look on there and say, yes, I'll go fetch that and I can use it. So we just realized we don't need much money. We don't need new clothes. We don't need anything really because it all is there waiting to be gifted away by someone who's replaced um, what they had with something new and so we just became these people upcycling recycling growing from scratch you know swapping clothes there's a clothes swap that uh, used to happen and will happen again so I realized I I really do not need to work full-time and I don't need all that money so but we did need a bit of money and uh, we only realized after some time that we were eligible for some support from universal credit so that helps to not have to give all our money out to rent and have absolutely no cash mm-hmm. so but then we had some support to be in, improve our self-employability and Andy was actually on this course trying to help him retrain because it was clear that he wasn't going to be a builder again <laughs> because mm-hmm. of his arms and you know it wouldn't uh, be viable so he was actually working on this business plan Uh, with a coach about yeah I need to do a business I need to do something and all the all the things that came around was had heavy lifting in it it was all to do with moving stuff about that's heavy and we already had started getting involved with permaculture and I was doing some reading and I thought well what is the missing link in our society you know what what are people struggling with where is the energy most needed and I was noticing since I learned that you can't um, recycle Tetra Pak in our bins and uh, that you could take it some places, it was all mounting on the side of our kitchen. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff that can be recycled, but how do you ever remember to take it to the right place at the right time? And, and it's all light work because it's not heavy stuff. It sort of came to me in a dream really you know I was dreaming and it was like oh my goodness that would be a good job you know it would make it would be a good solution so we started working on you know the branding and just figuring out how it would work and working alongside St Peter's who obviously collect four of those items and and then the rest just you know unfolded as time went on and people really loved it I mean as soon as we put out the first invitation I think 25 people joined straight away and now we nearly have 200 people on the scheme so yes it's it's amazing (laughs) that is quite a a brave uh, move to sort of step out of both of you having roles that you'd uh, been comfortable with albeit that obviously from Andy's side there was a physical need to move away from it but just to step away from everything you've kind of known and then go right what's next that's that's a really brave move and it's, it sounds as if it's given you the time and space to find what is the next thing for you uh, or the next things, I should say. So this sounds like a really good scheme and it's obviously working really well. And is it is it to those that don't know, is it largely plastics that you're recycling? Largely, it's actually aluminium. So anything that contains a layer of valuable resources that are needlessly 
you know, left in landfill for hundreds of years or thousands in the end. So crisp packets, chocolate wrappers, pet food pouches, all those sorts of things that have more than one layer of things in it, which can be used again. Mm. But because it's so hard to sort that mechanically and because it is so intense to to get to the bottom of the resources that are locked inside that packaging, really, it is not viable for curbside recycling. So the company TerraCycle is, is really fascinating when you look back at their whole story. And there's a lot of stuff, YouTube videos or anything, and a lot of information on their website. But mainly it, it is about thinking of things around you as carbon. If you think about, we talk about carbon footprints and people have this idea of this very abstract thing of carbon footprint. You know, every time you start the car and the fumes come out, that's carbon. You know, every time you breathe out, that's carbon, you know, carbon dioxide. Sure. So, but ultimately, everything that ha- is matter is carbon. So if we start uh, appreciating that everything around us can be a resource in some way, for example, as gardeners, everything can be compost. So if you if you don't value the the carbon and the matter in front of you for all the possibilities that it might have and, and, you know, and leave things where they belong, for example, um, you know, in permaculture, they use a lot of no dig gardening. So if you just leave the soil to do its job and feed it and keep adding more good carbon to that, that will be good. You know, or, uh, compost is nitrogen and carbon. So it's all those sorts of things. So instead of sometimes you can say, OK, not everything's recycled. Uh, but if you first say what can be composted, you know, it's in that whole um, reduce, reuse um, some people like to add rot. Can it be rotted down in my compost before I recycle it? You know, can I reuse this? Can I repurpose this? Can I can I reinvest it? Can I can I buy better things that will last longer, that will be able to be repaired before I? And of course, if you choose natural fibers, you can compost your own clothes. You don't even have to send it off to someone else to recycle, or whatever you choose to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating because it's a kind of, um, it's when you start looking at everything through this lens, everything becomes a resource, I imagine. And you can look at it in a different way. And you sounds like you certainly have, you're looking at everything in a, in a new way of how you can keep it in the, in motion, being functional or, you know, uh, rather than just discarding and if you do discard it, you then discard it in the most positive way that you can from the permaculture. And then you've got the, the, the recycling net network of collecting um, these hard to recycle objects. You've then taken on what I imagine is called a zero waste shop. I, I know you regard it as low impact living. Would you describe it as a zero waste shop? Yeah, I guess there's no getting away from that being the catchphrase of the time, you know, zero waste, meaning that we uh, in the products that are sold, they they do aim to reduce the waste. But I think Sue was the one who said that our predecessor who started the shop and with Artu's inspiration, we would never have been able to do this because we would not have started that from scratch. It was so, we were so astounded when she said, oh, well, I've chosen you to take over the shop when I retire. And we're like, really? Are you mad? Why us? And she's just like, no, I know you, you, your heart's in the right place. 
when I delivered the blue bags for the first time, a lot of the addresses I knew because they had gifted me something over the years. So there's there's an overlay of customers who give things away, who make sure they recycle things, and then who reduce their waste by uh, choosing environmentally friendly options so it, it is very much a tribe of people who, who do all these things already together so it, it is um, yeah so yes the shop the shop is definitely about and it's also very uh, you know permaculture based because a lot of organic farming do take into account permaculture principles and it's all about keeping things organic and not using pesticides and you know using using the best quality practices in looking after the earth and you know improving people's health by you know the most nutritionally dense food and although we are not vegan um the shop only sells vegan things because that's the most inclusive way to look at anything because if you think most people eat a mostly vegan diet anyway it's just those animal products that you do choose that you know changes what we eat so vegans eat everyone eats a vegan diet mostly and then you just have add-ons so we decided to keep it that way and for someone that hasn't ever been to the shop what, what could they expect what would be their experience what do they need to bring so the shop is it's it's turned into a little bit of an open all hours layout like the old corner shop uh, because of our love for old furniture in the lockdown, which uh, we only have ever traded in a lockdown. So it's gonna be interesting to deal with uh, bigger groups of people, but we laid it out in such a way that people see things and then ask for it uh, mostly. So there's a big uh, counter with lots of jars of whole foods that are unpackaged. So if people brought their jar to fill up with oats or rice or pasta or lentils or nuts and raisins and dried fruits, they can just have their jar filled. So I want a half full jar, a full jar of this. We also have paper bags that we can give people any quantity they want, but people do seem to have this need to fill their jar. <laughs> so sometimes they take, bring the jar once and know how, the capacity of the jar. And then to avoid bringing the jar again, they would just know how much their jar takes and then ask for that amount. Okay. And then the paper bags can be cut up and added to compost for the carbon element because paper is quite important for compost. Um, so that's the, the unpackaged part. Then we also have lots of vegan and organic tinned food, jars of food. We have lots of vegan alternatives like tofu and seitan and jackfruit and banana blossom, a lot of food that vegans eat or anyone can eat as a plant-based meals. And of course, even if you do eat meat to reduce your intake can, can help the environment a lot. So that's quite exciting to try interesting um, new meals. Uh, we sell a whole range of herbs and spices loose as well. So people can bring, save the little jars and refill it. Um, I looked the other day in the co-op and the oregano that they sell in a jar is 10 times more expensive per gram than our, our organic oregano. So sometimes taking the packaging away makes things much cheaper. And uh, when we have a bit more time, we will do some comparisons to just help people see that often it can help a lot to take away the packaging. Do you think that's a perception that perhaps if people are 
going to buy vegan products that they are having to spend more money? Do you think that's a presumption? It, it definitely is. And I guess it, it all depends, again, how you look at it. So if you are looking at the journey that the product you're consuming has taken to get to you, and if you think of like one of our biggest um, wholesalers is Suma, who is a cooperative that's been working in the UK since I was born. Uh, it started in the same year as I was born in 1979. And everyone in that company earns the same amount of money. Everyone can do all the jobs. Everything is vegetarian, vegan and organic where possible. And, you know, there's a whole network of people benefiting from this sort of work. So it's fair in every way. So if you say, well, one tin of baked beans is one pound ten, but it's the best quality beans. It supported everyone along the food chain to get to you. And therefore, yes, you could definitely find a cheaper tin of beans, but will it be as nutritious and delicious and good in every way? You know, that's how, how we look at it. And also, if you're going to go for quality um, versus quantity, we all know the whole story and easily feed someone with a loaf of white bread and a jar of jam and spend less than two pound if you chose the cheapest way. But will that be a nutritionally dense and wholesome meal perhaps not you know so I guess again it's also thinking of the the quantities perhaps we've come to this point of consuming and eating more than what we need so if what we have is actually more nutritious we will need less and therefore it will might even be cheaper if in the longer run it sounds very much that there's a clear thread of your mindfulness through the way you live and how you consciously consume and the activities that you get involved in what's the most rewarding part to being a part of the shop and the other adventures that you're also involved with I would say the biggest part is um the friendships you know the connection to other people especially through the pandemic it's been so heartwarming to to be involved and do things alongside other people who are totally on the same page you have the same ethics and principles where you don't even have to think twice because you know you don't have to question their ethics or their reasoning behind something and people who are passionate about uh, making a difference like I remember two years ago I spoke to one of the ladies Jenny Lindop about we were like, we need to plant trees in Balpa. We absolutely have to. And then everyone's sort of grown and done things. And now we have a friendship orchard in Balpa with trees spot dotted all over the place. So manifesting ideas and the things that are clearly the right thing to do. And it feels like there's um, there's just this energy in Balpa that people are just getting on with things and inspiring each other to all do something different that complements the whole of of living in this way, you know, of saying we trust each other, we do the good that it's possible to do, you know, we share, we we do all these things already, you know, um, like looking after each other, looking after the planet and sharing, which makes all the difference. Is that is that community expanding? How do you share that way of doing things? Because to somebody who's who's barely thought about what when they go to a supermarket, what they're buying and what it means or the impact or the carbon footprint. How do you draw in those people into the community or, or you know, uh, how does it expand 
to sort of challenge perhaps ideas of, of consumption and um, the ways in which we, we live our lives? Um, well, I think the, the best way to expand anything is organically. So it, it, would, it wouldn't be um, this whole thing of uh, advertising and getting loads of people together and doing speeches and lectures and things because if you think about that's very unorganic isn't it that's that's very um i would say patriarchal but we won't go into a feminist discussion <laughs> but this whole thing of being lectured to it's not very organic you know um like i've explained my journey the best way to 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 have change is to have an experience with with the the energy so there's this life energy dynamic energy of you know, every time someone walks past the tree that says Friendship Orchard, they'll be like, what is this all about? You know, we didn't do that for the people to notice it and then have a discussion. We did it because it's the right thing to do, because there needs to be more trees and we all need to see how easy it is to grow our own food. So when people are ready, they will. And, and that's the nature of life and the energy. When you are ready, you will have an encounter. And if you are aware of that encounter and become conscious through that encounter, you know, that will lead to change. So, and every time I go into a main supermarket, I see changes happening. It's beautiful. You know, all the eco-friendly things in Aldi, that where they're changing plastic to recyclable plastic, where Tesco saying, well, we'll take all the plastic and we'll take the clothes. You know, these things are happening because people want it to happen. And, you know, with the recycling as well, we have so many messages we can hardly keep up. And everyone, it, people are, when they're ready, they will, will do what they can do. And when you know more, you do more. And so it continues, you know, there's no need to preach to anyone. There's just this sense of energy that needs to keep moving. And, and I, I guess there are different camps of people who want to contribute in different ways. But for us, it's simply to keep it all moving, you know, keep ourselves energized so that we can carry on uh, every day's tasks and just be present with whoever's in front of you. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately the only way forward, I think. You are, you're an optimism and you're, um, yeah, it's quite infectious, Marisha. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, it's very warm and uh, the way that you, you put that. I, I wonder, because you in your own journey, if you like, are doing many things. Is there a point at which you have to go, oh, I, I can't take on anything else? <laughs> because I'm, I'm definitely, doing all these yes. things. Yes, it was uh, definitely like that. I mean, when Sue invited us to take over the shop, I knew that it would be a, a while before we could draw a salary from it. But I decided to leave teaching behind because I never really wanted to be a teacher. It sort of happened to me. And I was like, right, I don't want to do any more teaching. And then I love singing as well. So that's something I want to put more energy into. So but then I said, I don't really like singing with the guitar and that folksy music. I love classical music. And that's my intention to stop doing that sort of music and, and put my intentions into what I want to develop. So along the way, they will always, and even at the shop. So Andy and I have this uh, rhythm of uh, on Mondays, I spend time at home and he spends time at the shop doing cleaning and sorting out there. So making it a, a a decision of where to put your energy or where it will be most helpful and you know doing other bits and so definitely yes there's there's always 
there always has to be quite a few no's <laughs> to say yeah. no I don't want to do that or no thank you I'm not interested or I don't have the time or I don't have the energy and uh, right now that's not going to help me or help you <laughs> if I'm doing something when I'm tired and grumpy sure. <laughs> it sounds like you know your limits so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up with the last two questions the first of which I feel might be interesting because on the on the premise that you've already talked about growth uh, or um, organic sort of movement, if you like. But if you were to have to recommend something to someone about if they want, to, if they were in the place where they were now ready to make a change, is there a, a first step that you would recommend looking at or taking a, a, a particular change in, in action that they could do in their everyday lives? What I wonder might that be? from your perspective? I would uh, I would definitely say single-use plastics is the one thing that, that can make the biggest difference. And sometimes it's simply thinking of what you, being aware of your consumption and then making choices to reduce the single-use plastic. So for example, if you, if you know you're going to need five kilograms of rice, you know, there are places that if you don't want to spend on organic food, you can still go and buy bulk food. You know, so have one big bag that's often in softer plastic than the smaller bags. Like just decide, you know, how you can cut your single-use plastic. So as we know, the soft plastics is becoming much more readily recyclable. So wherever to, to think ahead to your consumption and, and that way you could save money and the single-use. And of course you can fill your jars at various places now though there really are quite a few options so i would say single-use plastics that sounds like really great advice good starting point and my final question then marisha it would be 2050 or 2050 how do you see the world looking at that point in my optimist view i would um, i would definitely see right now the trees that we are planting now will be what nearly 30 years old so i would uh, i see our climate being very different and hopefully if we have been resilient enough in our choices we will be able to you know a lot of people who they could say oh i started growing my own food during the coronavirus pandemic and i hope in 29 years from now all the people are really still enjoying the fruits of that labor and that change and shift of consciousness and I hope everyone's composting and growing their own food and just being more resilient and more mindful definitely. Okay that's a great place to end on. Thanks Marisha it's been um, it's been really great actually listening to your your the way that you see the world and all the lovely things that you're doing in it so uh, thanks for joining me today. It's my biggest pleasure take care. It was lovely talking to Marisha and hearing how she lives so mindfully in all aspects of her life and discovering what low impact living looks like. You can find links to all of Marisha's activities in the show notes on my podcast page at www.theowlhoop.com forward slash podcast. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music and to you for listening. If you want to hear more stories of people doing great things that positively impact our environment, then please do subscribe, rate and review through your podcast app. And why not share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it? Next up on the podcast is James Dyke, 
Assistant Director of the Global Systems Institute at the University of Exeter, sharing his expertise on climate change. It's a fascinating conversation and you really won't want to miss it. Until then, bye for now.